I'm Dan Primat, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Facebook. Today is Monday, October 19th. TSA screenings are up to their highest level since March, sports betting stocks are down, and we're focused on Joe Biden's pandemic plan. America's just over two weeks away from Election Day and just a few days from the next presidential debate. And so far, most of the campaign has been a litigation over how President Trump handled the coronavirus pandemic. Biden on offense, arguing that Trump blew it. Trump on defense, arguing that his actions saved lives. What hasn't gotten too much talk, however, is what the candidates plan to do going forward, except hope for a vaccine to be approved and deployed. And that matters a lot because both infections and hospitalizations are currently on the rise in most of America. And there's a pretty decent chance that'll still be true come Inauguration Day. If Trump's reelected, expectations are that there won't be many changes to policy or to practice. But we know less about Biden's plans were he to take office. So we asked his campaign and it suggested we speak with California Congressman Ami Berra, who is serving as a Biden surrogate. That conversation in 15 seconds. We're joined now by Congressman Ami Berra. So, Congressman, let's make a, an assumption here that Joe Biden wins the election. And it is January 20th at, I don't know, two in the afternoon. He's been sworn in. Who's running the FDA and the CDC? Does he want to keep the current people just for now? Or really, who's running those particularly vital organizations? No, I think you'll see a transition happen between November 4th and January 20th. I don't want to speculate on who the names are, but, you know, Dr. Han certainly will work with whoever's coming in on the Biden side. So there's a smooth and seamless transition. There may be a period of overlap, but obviously you would not want to not have a CDC director there. So and look, I know Dr. Redfield over at the CDC very well. I've met Dr. Han at FDA. Both are professionals and both know what they're doing. It's some of the political appointees that are not scientists, not doctors, that I think you'll move those folks out. And then you'll actually probably see Dr. Han, Dr. Redfield being able to work together. All right. So let's talk big picture here. For a prospective Biden administration, what really is the plan to kind of tamp down on the pandemic outside of get a vaccine, which is right now seems to be the Trump administration plan? Is there really a difference come January? Absolutely. There are things that we have been putting in place going back to April and May. We've got $5 billion that we're hoping to get to build out a contact tracing workforce, a public health workforce that can both help us tamp down and defeat this virus. But then also when we get that vaccine, all the logistics of vaccinations, you know, how do you get into harder to reach communities? All that logistically is challenging. And then at the global level, you don't defeat this virus until you actually have vaccinated the entire world. So we've got to see a return of U.S. global leadership at the table and leading the global vaccine effort. Those are all things that Vice President Biden is prepared to do as president by Monday one. Do you feel the current distribution plans, again, were there to be an FDA approved vaccine, the current distribution plans, the administration's talked about using military to do it. Do you think it's adequate? I don't. You can use the military for logistics where it might make sense, but really you ought to have a public health workforce that can do this. And that's stuff that the CDC actually knows how to do. We've had those conversations with the CDC around trying to ramp up our influenza vaccination rates this fall and winter, because we know that's the one thing we can do to reduce the pandemic. But Vice President Biden talks about building this workforce of 100,000 contact tracers They can also then help go identify folks that haven't gotten the COVID-19 
vaccine, get them to locations where they can get the vaccine. And all of those are part of the logistics here. In addition, the Trump administration hasn't clearly laid out who's going to get the vaccine first. How are you going to get to vulnerable populations? And what's that strategy going to be? Because it may be that we initially have 10 million doses of vaccine. Who gets those first 10 million? Well, okay, so let me ask you, there's 10 million. Who gets them? You know, the first thing I do is I get it out to the frontline healthcare workers because they're the ones that we're depending on to keep us safe. Then I would actually go to the most vulnerable populations, you know, folks in nursing homes, folks with critical illnesses and comorbid conditions. Then I would actually go into some of the hardest hit communities. There's underserved communities, under-resourced communities, communities of color that have been hit harder with higher mortality rates. We've got to figure out how to get that vaccine out there. Vice President Biden said, you know, if the science were to mandate it, he would support shutdowns again, at least in certain areas. I'm curious, though, whether you guys have control of the House and the Senate and the White House or not, you won't have control of all the governorships in the country. And it's ultimately governors who decide whether or not to shut down their states. Would the vice president be willing to use economic levers to, let's say, persuade a hesitant governor to do so? No, I think the initial piece would be certainly having a coordinated federal response, hopefully with clear federal guidelines that are based in science that then can help direct the governors on when do you open, when do you close based on science. I don't think a President Biden would try to use coercive measures like that, but I think he would work closely with the governors and the local communities on when it's safe to open, when you might have to start pulling back a little bit. Certainly, we're doing that here in California. It's not rocket science, but I do think having federal guidance and federal standards is very important. Let me ask about one of those federal standards, which is he has talked about this idea of potentially a national mask mandate, at least in public places. Is that actually possible? I mean, from a constitutional perspective. You know, I think you can put the mandate in place as you have in certain states and communities. They've had the mask mandate. Now, at the federal level, you're probably not going to penalize folks or do anything. But that measure with the president of the United States saying one thing that we really can do is wear face coverings that will reduce transmission of the disease, will keep people safe. President Trump has repeatedly raised comments made by Ron Klain, who was Obama's Ebola czar and Vice President Biden's chief of staff, in which Klain suggests that the Obama-Biden White House kind of blew their swine flu response and really got lucky that a lot more Americans didn't die. How should American voters think about that going into the election? How I would think about the Obama-Biden administration, whether it was swine flu or Ebola was that, yeah, everything wasn't 100% perfect, but they understood and they made course corrections as they got more information and they were guided by the science. We certainly saw that around Ebola. And when we look at lessons learned, and I worked with Mr. Klein on some of this, you put in places things like the Pandemic Preparedness Office, someone who was totally dedicated to help us prepare for the next pandemic, and it worked with Zika. Unfortunately, the Trump administration disbanded a lot of those efforts that were put in place, and that left us unprepared. Would that office return in the Biden administration? I think it'd return on day one. I think you would have someone who was in charge of the public health response to the virus. You'd have someone in charge of the logistics, making sure PPE, ventilators, and vaccine got to where they need to go. Congressman Barra, thank you so much for joining us. Great. Thank you. Be well. Let's be safe. Welcome back. What we're watching today is fracking, as ConocoPhillips agreed to buy shale oil giant Concho Resources for $9.7 billion. Why it matters is that for all the heated political rhetoric over whether to frack or not to frack, the industry itself has been getting hammered due primarily to decreased demand during the pandemic. Concho, for example, back in January, 
was worth nearly two times what ConocoPhillips is now paying for it, while many other smaller players have filed for bankruptcy. Today, we're also watching China's economy, which grew by an official 4.6% in the third quarter year over year. Yeah, you got that right. China had a better third quarter post-COVID than third quarter pre-COVID. We're also continuing to watch Pakistan, which said today it will rescind its recent ban on TikTok after the social streaming app promised to, quote, block all accounts repeatedly involved in spreading obscenity and immorality. As for that pending TikTok ban in the U.S., the drop dead date there continues to be November 12th, although the Treasury Department does have the ability to extend it for a month. And finally today, we are continuing to watch these stalled stimulus talks after House Speaker Nancy Pelosi gave the White House an end of Tuesday deadline to get something done that could get passed before the election. She and Treasury Secretary Mnuchin are scheduled to speak again this afternoon, but it's become pretty clear that the differences between Democrats and the White House are less important than the differences both of those groups have with Senate Republicans, whom President Trump so far has been unable or unwilling to budge. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers, Naomi Shaven, and Alex Sugiyara, have a great National Seafood Bisque Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.